Well, in our uh, previous examination of the book of Jude last week, <clears throat> I explained that as you read through the book, and you can read through Jude in one sitting, I mean, it takes all of about 10 minutes or 15 at the most, that the overarching theme of this book is that it is a warning. It was a warning then and a warning for now. In our examination of the first section last week, we saw that Jude's uh, letter of warning became several things. First of all, he made it clear that his identity was as a servant of Jesus Christ, more so than even the uh, half-brother of Jesus, right? His identity was his place as a servant of the Lord Jesus. Uh, we also saw that the letter was written specifically to those who were called sanctified and preserved in Christ, meaning every one who has become a disciple of the Lord Jesus, who has committed their life to Christ, asked for the forgiveness of their sin, and trusting him for their salvation. This letter is to them. We saw also that he realized right in the middle, if you will, of writing the letter, it was as though the light went on and <clears throat> he, he was going to write to them about our common salvation, but he found it necessary to write to them to earnestly contend for the faith. He knew he needed in this letter to exhort uh, the Christians because, also it became clear, that some Creepy men had crept in and were perverting and distorting the gospel in its purity, turning the grace of God to lewdness, denying Christ and denying Almighty God himself. And in our examination last week, we saw that Jude looked back looked backwards under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and gave examples of God's sovereign uh, meeting out of consequence. God is sovereign and God has the uh, authority and the right to meet out consequence. And Jude brought it to the forefront that in his sovereign choice to mete out consequence, he did so to those who, in verse 5, rejected the authority of God's word and commands. To the people that God had delivered from, from Egypt. And he said, now go in by faith and I'll be with you. And an entire generation would not go. And so that generation wandered for 40 years and then died off. God, in his sovereignty, meted out the consequence to those who rebelled against his creative genius in the heavenly realms. The, the entire angelic host was created by God, created to worship him 
to be his, his ministers. And yet, there was one, Lucifer, who, as pride got into his heart, raised up and wanted to be like the Most High, and God, in his sovereignty, cast Lucifer out of the heavenly realm with one-third of the angelic host and those angels that left their first abode, verse 6, he has reserved for the darkness of chains. And finally, Jude brought it to the forefront that God meted out a consequence to those of humanity who resisted God's clear design in human nature in order for mankind to procreate, it, it necessitated a male and a female. And, and that in that design is how God seeks to have humanity move forward. And yet there were those then that sought to resist that design and went after strange flesh to which, as he pointed out, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around in verse 7 suffered uh, eternal fire. Very clear examples. Uh, and yet, as we pick up our study this morning in verse 8 and forward, uh, the Holy Spirit gives Jude the ability to make some comparisons of those who are that he's writing about and those who were bringing a current threat to the purity of the gospel. Notice in verse 8, we read, likewise also these. And so Jude refers back to those three examples of uh, those who didn't obey his word and go into the land, the angels that left their first abode, and those who went after strange flesh, they all uh, were the recipients of the consequence of God's sovereign judgment. And so now in verse 8, Jude says, so likewise. He's, he's now bringing that comparison. And he says, likewise, also these Dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Now what I found interesting is the repetition of the phrase these. Uh, Jude makes a point of it. Notice we read it in verse 8, also these, dreamers. Verse 10, but these speak evil of whatever they do not know. Verse 12, notice, these are spots in your love feast. Verse 16, these are grumblers and complainers. And verse 19, these are sensual persons who cause division, not having the spirit. And so there's, there's a large emphasis on these who have, on these who have crept in and not that we should pass over it. In verse 4, Jude says that they crept in unnoticed to the local body of believers. Somehow they came in the back door and no one was watching the fort. And as they walked 
in through uh, the back door and integrated themselves into this local body of believers that Jude is writing to and what was going on around uh, not only that specific church, but culturally in his day. They brought great violence to the purity of the gospel. We saw in verse 8 that one of the first things these who have done such things are guilty of are defiling the flesh, rejecting authority, and speaking evil of dignitaries. In other words, they, they go against the clarity of, of orthodox doctrine for the New Testament Christian. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, speaking about uh, what we're to do with our flesh, <laughs> our lower nature, which you know, hangs on to us. Once we are born again, we're given a new nature. But this old nature loves to rise, raise its ugly head at times. And Paul, writing to the Christians in Rome, Rome uh, Romans 13, 13 and 14, he said, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, not in drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, verse 14, Romans chapter 13, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fill its lust thereof. In other words, don't just keep feeding that flesh desire. Someone once years ago brought the illustration of, of two dogs and one being extremely strong and aggressive. They start out the same, one being very strong and aggressive, the other one being very strong and aggressive, but one of the dogs starved to death to the point to where if it's not fed, it can't attack and it can't bring danger and it can't bring harm. And so we're to starve our flesh in terms of the things that keep us away from God, and we're to feed our spirit the things which draw us near to God. And these dreamers, they just cast that clear Christian doctrine to the side and say, no, whatever you want to do in the flesh, defile the flesh. They also uh, reject authority. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, he told this young Timothy as it related to uh, authority or persons of authority in the Christian church, those who God raises up, and we've seen God raise up many here in Calvary Chapel that, that are just men and women that have an authority and are overseeing various ministry. Uh, Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 5.19, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest may also fear. So these men who crept in unaware rejected all kind of authority, God ordained authority within the given church at that time. And we see also that they speak evil of dignitaries. And when we think of the word dignitaries, we might think of, 
you know, an ambassador to the United States of America or an ambassador from another country. But what Jude is referring to is someone who, like Jude, like the Apostle John, like Peter, who were <clears throat> um, very visible leaders in the New Testament church, they would be considered dignitaries in that sense. That's what the word means. And these who had crept in to, to corrupt the gospel were not only uh, not recognizing authority, but they would speak evil of authority, evil of dignitaries. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, again, chapter 16, said, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned. And he says, Romans 16, verse 17, avoid them. So if you and I fast forward taking that word and this word, move it into the living room of our Christian church life, when you find someone who comes through those doors into this body of believers and begins to just speak negatively and evil and, and start to divide people and cause division, the word of God says, avoid them. You tell them, I can't listen to this. That's the biblical way to handle it. Then we come to verse 9 through 10. And read it with me. Jude writes, he says, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring, an, uh, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, quote, The Lord rebuke you. Unquote. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beast, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Coming back to verse 9, we find an interesting reference that Jude makes to Michael, uh, the archangel. And Michael is mentioned, uh, the archangel Michael is mentioned four times in scripture, uh, Daniel 10, Daniel 12, Revelation 12, and here. And what we do know is that the last time uh, Moses' body is spoken of really is way back in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 6. And this is an um, interesting reference that Jude makes. Uh, one commentator says, we don't know where Jude received this information about his dispute. He may have received it as a unique revelation from God. But according to teachers in the early church, Jude was referring 
to an apocryphal book known as the Assumption of Moses, of which only small portions survived. So, again, we don't know exactly where this reference comes from, <coughs> but what we do know from this text and the others in uh, Scripture about Michael the Archangel is that Michael the Archangel was a high-ranking angel in in God's uh, army, if you will. That Michael the Archangel is, is a created being, that Jesus is not Michael the Archangel, Jesus is not the spiritual brother of Lucifer, that Michael the Archangel is, is exactly that, a high-ranking authority in the spiritual realm. And some have at times said, you know, is Satan the opposite of God? Absolutely not. God is supreme and authoritative and omniscient and all-knowing. Satan is a created angelic being who, who fell because of pride in his heart. If Satan has an opposite, it would be Michael the Archangel both high-ranking angelic beings, one in God's kingdom, the other in a fallen kingdom. And the point that Jude is bringing is not uh, who Michael the archangel is or even who the devil is, but rather how the devil was dealt with that Michael the archangel didn't even take him on, you know, face to face, fist to fist, toe to toe. He said, nope, the Lord rebuke you. And it's, it's a clear principle in terms of spiritual warfare when you or any other Christians are sensing um, adverse attack from uh, Satan, spiritual warfare, attack from the devil who seeks to rob, kill, and destroy the work of God in our heart. He wants to bring doubt and fear, doubt about our salvation, fear about our future. And rather than take him on personally, say, no, I'm you know, stronger than you, no way, I'm not stronger than the enemy of my soul, but I know that Jesus Christ is, okay? And Jesus said, uh, John said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And to just exercise this clear principle here that Jude gives us to say, you know what, the Lord rebuke you. Get behind me in Jesus' name. The scripture tells us that draw near unto God and he will draw near unto you. Flee from the devil and he will flee from you. So then Jude tells us that these um, dreamers, these spots in our love feast, these grumblers and complainers, these sensual persons, verse 11, he gives three uh, root causes for their apostasy. And we'll spend the rest of our time there this morning in these root causes. 
Remember, we spoke last week about the difference between an unbeliever and someone who has apostatized from the faith. An unbeliever has never come to faith in Christ. These, these, as I said, snuck in through the back door or crept in. Somehow there was a, an outward facade that they belonged in the body of believers. Maybe there was even a, a false profession of faith where, oh yeah, we believe. But the Bible tells us also that even the demons believe and tremble. It's not enough just to believe in God. Listen, those of you who are here and hearing my voice and those of you who are watching at home, it is not enough to believe in God for your salvation. You must believe in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, who paid the penalty for our sin, dying on the cross at Calvary, taking upon himself our sin and placing our faith in him, believing in Christ. All right, so if that's you... And you were to follow what these dreamers, these speaking evil, these spots and love feasts, grumblers and such, that would mean then, therefore, you have apostatized. Remember, we read last week uh, Webster's definition is to forsake that which once was adhered to. And that's what is declared. Uh, word here that Jude is writing to those who had once adhered to a faith and now have sought to pollute it, to pervert it, and bring great violence to the purity of the gospel. And now, why? Why would that happen to someone? If someone has come into a, a, a loving relationship with the resurrected Savior, how? It begs the question, how would someone then forsake what they once adhered to? It's not new. Uh, in our current day today, we have, gosh, a dear friend of mine and colleague, uh, Pastor Matt Valencia, Calvary Chapel, Scotts Valley, gave an entire list this last week to a handful of us of men in ministry who have forsaken what they once adhered to. Uh, Joshua Harris, who once wrote uh, Why I uh, Stopped Dating, completely departed from the faith. Uh, and the list goes on. There are many who have, are seeking to deconstruct our faith and just go through scripture and take out what they want and set to the side what they don't want. How does that happen to someone? Well, I don't have all the answers, but I believe that Jude gives us at least three here in verse 11 as it relates to these that he knew of and that he's teaching his readers about and therefore by the Holy Spirit teaching us about. And the first root cause comes to us in the person of Cain. So I'm going to try and scroll us through a few verses. And 
invite you to turn with me, if you would. Let's go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter uh, 4. And we're introduced to Cain there and Abel. Many of you may know the account. But we read these first few verses in Genesis chapter 4. It says, Now Adam knew his, uh, Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain in his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance there are several things there we we don't have a full uh, explanation from Moses the writer of Genesis uh, as to uh, why these two men perhaps even understood what God would want in an offering certainly the law of Moses had not been given yet there had been no directive but Somehow, in some way, these men knew of God. They knew to bring an offering to God. And when we come to the word respected, uh, in verse 4, the Lord respected Abel and his offering, verse 5, and he, but he did not respect Cain. You know, uh, the English language is limited. All language is somewhat limited when it comes to understanding completely the mind and the ways of God. So in the best of our ability, the Latin goes clearer, uh, but in the best of our ability, we have translated uh, this sovereign decision. Again, the sovereignty of God. This sovereign decision of God to receive, accept, word is respect, hear uh, Abel's offering, but to not receive, accept, respect Cain's offering. Now someone might say, well, that's, that's sure unfair. They've both brought something. Isn't that, you know, good enough? And I can understand that approach. It's a conversation. But, but, notice what happens is that the Lord said to Cain in verse 6, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door And its desire, sin's desire, 
is for you. But you should, underline that word, should, should rule over it. Now, this is the text. This is, we have this, okay. In other words, God was saying, Cain, okay, I'm not receiving this one. Just go give me another. And it'll be an even, even playing field. It'll, it'll all be fine. But anger in the human heart and particularly anger at God. For God determining how something is to be is a very dangerous route. It is a root cause for someone who once adhered to the faith become angry at God angry at God for how things are or how things are determined to be and decide, I don't want God in my life. I don't have a need for him right now. I'm going this way. Perhaps you know someone. And yet, the issue is is that it's it's not up for discussion. It's, It's not a suggestion. It's not... It's not, well, well, how do you feel about this, Cain? You know, it's like, no, if, if you'll go just do well, it'll be accepted. And how many, you know, again, I love this phrase, no one in this room, but how many times have you met someone or know someone that just, I want to do it my way. Because they're angry or frustrated or their countenance has fallen. And perhaps you know the rest of the story. This anger turned into you know, the deepest kind of hate that can happen in wanting to take another human being's life. Cain slays his brother Abel. And he never returns from that place. A root cause for straying away from an established place of faith in Christ is becoming angry at God for how things are to be. And choosing to not accept God as sovereign. A second root cause that we are given here in verse 11 has to do with a man called Balaam. And I want you to turn with me to Numbers chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22. And uh, time will not allow us to read uh, the entire account of Balaam, but I will take us to a couple of verses. Chapter 22 the backstory is that <clears throat> excuse me, there's a Moabite king named Balak who sees this army of Israelites who have been delivered from Egypt and now are going into the land, uh, growing in population. They're becoming so 
prolific and so uh, innumerable that the Moabite king Balak is afraid that that amount of society is going to overtake him. <clears throat> so he knew of a man called Balaam that was understood to be a prophet. And if I can draw your attention to verse 5, <clears throat> uh, Balak sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once, curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. <clears throat> Verse 7, So the, Moab, the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee. Notice this, the diviner's fee. They knew Balaam was a prophet or a diviner, and that he, he might work for a, a wage. With the diviner's fee, uh, in their hand, and they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And so what Balaam does is he gets this offer for, you know, a dollar bill to curse God's people Israel. This is what King Balak wants. <clears throat> so Balaam says, you know what, uh, great I like I like the business we're doing here, but just hold on. I got to go talk to God. So he goes and he asks God, you know, what am I to do with this offer that I'm getting? I take your attention to verse 12. And God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. Let's read it together. And God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. Does no get any clearer than no? <clears throat> well, as you read through this chapter later during the day and through the week, what you will find is that Balaam is asked again. The, 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 the fee, the wage goes up. Hey, well, we'll give you more. Okay, hold on. Let me go ask God. God says no. Oh, we'll give you more. Let me go ask God. God says no. And you might, or I might, or we might. In reading the story, the account is somewhat take this position. Well, well, Balaam, man, he was, you know, really kind of listening to God. He, he wouldn't do it. Uh, what's the problem? So glad you asked. Turn to chapter 31 of Numbers, verse 16. Chapter 31 of Numbers. If you're reading it, it says this. Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor, and there was a plague 
among the congregation of the Lord. Summary. What Balaam decided is that I, I can't directly go against what God is telling me to do, but, but here's how we can figure this out. The Israelite people, if, if you cause your people, the Moabites, to come in and begin to seduce the, the men and intermarry, then that will make God angry and God will curse them. May I have my wage, please? And that's what happened. And so a second root cause for walking away from an established faith in Orthodox Christian New Testament belief is trying to manipulate the circumstances to gain something or someone or something that God has clearly said no to. Sound and passion this morning? Yes. I can't tell you the amount of times over 30 years that I've talked to a, a man or a woman who's head over heels in love with someone else, but they're not a Christian. And God has clearly said in his word that we are not to uh, marry an unbeliever and be joined. And you, But, I, you know, I love him so much. And not that every one of those accounts or, you know, relationships goes bad. But I'll tell you what, there's a large portion of them that it's manipulating the circumstances to get or gain what someone wants, even though God has clearly said no. And you can take that in a relationship, in in career, in ministries, in direction for life path. I know you're being a little bit quiet, but I hope, you know, we're hitting home on when these things start to take root in the heart, careful. Lastly, out of time, the rebellion of Korah. And I will ask you to turn to number 16, turn backwards, and we'll do this one somewhat quickly. Numbers chapter 16. And the rebellion of Korah, to summarize, is this. Is Korah and his family had been given a tremendous way to serve God. They were responsible for the setting up of the tabernacle while the Israelites walked through the desert. And Moses was their leader, and Moses was the one that was to go and speak with God and then come and tell God what God tell the people what God had said. He represented that place of priesthood, right, where the, pre, the priest is to speak to God on behalf of the people and to speak to the people on behalf of God. And the New Testament that says that each one of us have been made a kingdom of priests. We are to speak to God on behalf of our lives and the lives around us, and we're to speak to those around us on behalf of God. Okay, but Korah wasn't happy with his position. And I'll take your attention to verse 3. 
he gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourself <clears throat> above the assembly of the Lord? Hey, you know, share the wealth, Moses. I want a little bit of the attention too. I'm feeling like second fiddle here and Hey, after all, we're all Israelites and holy. Why can't I just, you know, have a little bit of the glory? <clears throat> Moses fell on his face, verse 4, because he knew this is not the way to approach this. And so God gave him a, a way in which the decision of, of who God is really recognizing as authority and as leader and as as. Uh, appointed in, in the midst of the people and who, is, who God is not recognizing as authority and appointed uh, in the midst of the people. He said in verse 5, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he cho chooses, he will cause to come near to him. Do this, verse 6. And so what the command was, was to fill censers with uh, incense. And the way in which, under the protocols of the tabernacle, that the worshiper could approach God was that they had to fill a censer with incense, which represented the prayers of the saints. And they would walk into the tabernacle and come close to God or come to the place of where God's presence was to be. So the directive was simple. Okay, Gora, uh, Cora, you go fill censers and, and um, I'll fill censers and, and we'll both come and approach God and we'll just kind of, you know, we'll see who's, who's is God and who's is not. And I draw your attention that... Uh, Verse 28, and Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. Verse 31, and it came to pass that as he finished speaking all these words, that the ground split apart under them, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, and their households and all the men with Korah with all their Pride in wanting position in God's service and not, not receiving it, being placed in a given position to serve and, and kicking against that and wanting more of front face and, and wanting more authority in the realm of, of uh God's work, Jude uses these three things that are clear. Uh, they're not just Sunday school stories. They are accounts. And I hope you can hear it that way. They are recorded accounts of how these dreamers fled from the faith. Anger at God because of the way God says things shall be. 
manipulating circumstances to get or gain something you want because you want it and you think you should have it and yet God has said no to it. Wanting more position in his kingdom because of pride in the heart. Man. You see why I couldn't just go, let's read through the book and finish and go on to Revelation? I mean, this is important stuff. It hits home. It lands in each of our front yard. And that's the place to keep it. (laughs) To not let it into the living room of our experience. Now, I want you to close with me with verse 20 of Jude. Let's go back there. Verse 20 of Jude, Jude says, but you. There's that famous contrasting word, but you. And I hope you'll receive that as the very voice of God this morning saying, but you, building yourself up But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ until unto eternal life. Wow. A word for the church today. Will you join me as we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, what a, what a clear, sobering, and yet honest, loving word to give to us, your people, for Jude to write thousands of years ago to a group of believers that he knew had been invaded by Ignorant, arrogant individuals that had left the faith. And they were seeking to pervert and and change the grace of God. And Lord, in, in your wisdom, you gave Jude this word to allow him to speak to them and to speak to us now. Oh God, we need you. We need you today. We need you every hour to, by your Holy Spirit, allow us to be aware of those dangerous things that can creep in. Cause us to build ourselves up, Lord, today and in this week of giving thanks. Praying in the Holy Spirit and keeping ourselves in the love of God. Lord, we 
We trust you to do that in our lives this week. And we'll trust you and ask it in Jesus' name.